Welcome to the QAV Podcast. This is episode 444. Uh, this week in the free edition, we're congratulating QAV club members Brett and Rowan on their performance. We're talking about KPT turning into KIL, a ZGL sudden collapse, uh, the new ANZ numbers, the iron ore chart fudge, our top three performing stocks from last week, Tony's stock tips of this week, IMA and AMI, whether or not we should hold for a minimum of 12 weeks, GCY's PE history, and what level five of QAV might look like. So without any further ado, let's get into it. Welcome back to QAV, episode 444. Welcome back to Quo Vardis, Tony. I uh, decided that's probably the Latin for this show, Quo Vardis. With a goist. Yeah. Where are you going? Yeah, where do we go? That's what we're asking. Ah, yeah, I'm going down to Wagga Wagga. Check out this conservatorium of music and the uh, clay shooting yeah. facility. I figure it's like a coliseum, right? You sit around in uh, big stone arches and the in the grandstands at the back. <laughs> they run a few polys out there and then, you know, pull. <laughs> you know, I've got a hole in my head uh, from one of those places, right? You know the story about my fractured skull? No. Okay, long story. Then I'll tell you some other time. Yeah, well, if you need anything when you're in Wagga, just call Gladys because she'll just call Dom because your new premier apparently just does whatever she tells him. So Ooh, he's got to be happy about that coming out. <laughs> anyway, people didn't come here to listen no. to us talk about Gladys's personal life or corruption. <laughs> I want to start off by congratulating a couple of QAV club members, Brett. Brett posted on Facebook yesterday, I've just completed my first 12 full months of QA. This is the Brett of the Brett later, of course. I'm up 46% compared to 29% for the All Lords total return. Not double, but I'll take it. I expect it should be even higher as I only started using Rule 1 recently and I held onto some iron stocks too long. Thank you, Tony and Cameron, for your genuine interest in helping teach financial literacy in the QAV process to the QAV community. After only one year, there is still so much to learn. Uh-huh. Well done, Brett. Congratulations, Brett. That's great. That's a great result. And uh, mm. we got another one posted last night from Rowan on the Facebook group as well. Mm-hmm. Rowan said, thought I might share my current year-to-date returns using QAV. Been investing since just after COVID. Got lucky with the market timing and did all right. But the best thing I ever did was transitioned to QAV in August last year, and it's been the funnest game I've ever played. (laughs) Side note, I like the last episode where the guys talked about not feeling emotional about a small loss, or I think just as importantly, the emotions of a big gain, getting attached Mm -hmm. and holding on too long or building an ego. His time-weighted return per annum, according to Stock Doctor, is 59.54%. Wow. So terrific results. It really makes me happy when I see QAV members uh, getting these sorts of results. Just me too. Just following the recipe that you wrote down for us. Yeah, it's very fulfilling, very rewarding to see it out there and being used and being used successfully. And good on those people. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, thanks for sharing. And you're both in the running for the inaugural QAV trophy that I haven't bought yet, but there's a list somewhere where you have to record your results. <laughs> I think on the club member resources page, you see a link to the trophy list. So go up and throw your results in that and you could get the trophy, which you'll be able to display prominently in the trophy room of your uh, house. Yeah, that's good. Sounds good. Don't know what the trophy is yet though. Our putters club has a trophy. It's a horse cut in half. And if you come first, you win the head. <laughs> if you come last, you win the tail. <laughs> right. Well, I'll have to come up with uh, maybe a little statue of you that's cut in half. (laughs) (laughs) The wisdom of Solomon. Statue of Warren Buffett, I think, would be good. (laughs) 
Right. <laughs> well, let me just commission an artist to do a sculpture there. I'll get right on that. There'll be something on the internet for sure. We started with the good news, so great results from these guys. Bad news is rough week on the Ooh. markets last week. ASX down 100 points just on Friday, I think, alone. Lots of selling. I had to sell quite a few of my stocks that either breached three-point trend lines or mostly real one sells, I think they were. Lots of blood in the streets, Tony, but it's business as usual, I assume. Absolutely, yeah. Look, I had to sell some too, and I can talk about those now. I sold Horizon at the start of the week and bought Samfire and sold out of Suncorp and bought Westgold during the week. And they've promptly dropped, so they could be coming sells themselves this week, but we'll see a real long way above their sell lines. Yeah, it's been a funny patch in the market around the end of year from, say, at the start of the financial year through dividend season to now. I haven't seen a dividend season like this. I find it really interesting. I suspect, and this is only a theory, that a lot of people were hanging on to stocks waiting for a big dividend to get paid. And now those dividends have come through. They're selling out and perhaps either taking money off the table or looking for the next dividend payer. We saw big drops in the iron ore stocks, first of all. And then, you know, the banks have been funny. I've been sort of in and out of some of the banks. Um, They pay their dividends, they drop, they should bounce back, they don't. It's been just a very unusual time in the market over the last few months. Psychologically, I suspect people are starting to worry about interest rates and inflation and potentially what that might mean for the property market and what that might mean for their hip pockets going forward too. So a little bit of uncertainty out there, I think, is also yeah, part of Yeah, to be mix. fair, it's a really unusual time in the world right now. <laughs> it's world economies uh, yeah. struggling for a whole bunch of different reasons, coming out of COVID just being one of them and inflation levels and all the money that was yeah. printed in the last couple of years, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's right. COVID, no one knows if, if there's going to be an out break in the northern winters, whether double vaccination will help with that. There's struggles in the US for president to get his infrastructure bill passed. So a lot of people were you know, basing investment decisions on $3 trillion hitting the, some of the stocks that they might want to invest in in the US. So then that all flows through. When they start to lose a bit of confidence, that can flow through to here as well. The China issues, supply side yep. issues, a lot of big yep. issues right now. And that's obviously going to be reflected in instability in the markets, I guess. And our job is just to to ignore it. Stay the course, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's right. I mean, you could probably have this conversation almost every week of the year, really. There's always something going on. Right. It's never clear sailing. So that's why we have a process. Yeah. yeah. There's going to be some turbulence mm-hmm. and people's portfolios, if they're new, might go backwards before they go forwards right now. If you start investing in a turbulent time, then you got to ride through that turbulence. Yeah, and not just a turbulent time. Don't forget, you know, people who are getting good returns for the last 12 months were investing when the market was coming off all-time lows, and now that market's back up to above average highs. So probably also another big thing feeding into the uh, choppiness of the market is, as you said, quo virus, where does it go from mm-hmm. here? Uh, some other things that happened last week, we announced KPT as our stock of the week, and then it immediately changed its <laughs> code to KIL. And when I was writing my breakdown of it, when we put it out as stock of the week last week, I was going, well, and I was reading up on you know the latest results and the management statements, and they were talking about it. They didn't think that forest that they had that burnt down in the mm. bushfires last year, they were like, well, we don't think we're ever going to be able to rebuild that, so we're pivoting away Mm -hmm. from that. They 
held off doing that until the day we announced them as stock of the week and then came out and said, <laughs> changed our name to Keyland or Kyland, K-I-L-A-N-D, I think. The new code is K-I-L. Yeah, but I don't think the shares have uh, suffered greatly. Although I- yeah, look, apologies for that. I knew about the fact that they weren't going to replant their plantation. And there was another issue with a pier that they had up for redevelopment and the state government knocked back the zoning for that. So those have been flagged for a, quite a while now and they had said for the last month at least that they were going to put the uh, land to best use, which turns out to be agriculture. So they're moving away from the forest. But what I didn't know was at the AGM, which happened on, I think, Tuesday, they changed their name to reflect the fact they were no longer Kangaroo Island Plantation Timbers, an agricultural company. Share price, looking at uh, our stock tips, though, page is only down 1% since we put them out there last week, all things considered, not too bad. Stock tips are obviously aren't doing too well at the moment, up 0.7% overall combined since we started on the 7th of September, so not quite two months ago. But again, that's the market. It's been a lot of blood issued. I think last week we were saying, yeah, it looks pretty good. I think it was up like 4% collectively last week. Yeah, it was. <laughs> all, all disappeared overnight. Something else that happened last week, ZGL, which was, I think, the first stock tip we did after we got our AFSL and started republishing stock tips. It collapsed overnight. Looks like some big parcels were sold off overnight last week. I think it's got a fairly small average daily transaction volume amount. I think it's like 15,000 and there was something like $130,000 worth of shares sold in one day last week. So uh, for some reason the price just collapsed as a result of that. I think somebody on Facebook said it was a founder sell, yeah. but I haven't got the details on that. Just did some quick research. I haven't seen who the seller is. If it's a founder sell, that's a worry, but I'll have to have a look at it, but couldn't see anything right. from when I had a look at it on the weekend. It's still generally going up, even though it's dropped a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But for those of us that bought it, it was a bit of a shock. It does, yeah. So rule one sell, I guess, if you bought it. Has it dropped that far? <laughs> yeah, it was a rule one sell for me. <laughs> Yes, I just wanted to call that out. So just basically to highlight the fact that in the next couple of weeks, the next month, we will see some companies giving us new numbers, including Eclipse, which is on our our current buy list. ANZ was. I ran the numbers through the checklist and uh, it isn't a buy anymore. I think it failed on sentiment. So, but they have, yeah, it does have negative sentiment, but it does have a good QAV score. I think it was 0.14, 0.15 apart from that sentiment, but just wanted to highlight, using ANZ as an example, that there are stocks that report this month. Eclipse is one. OFX is another one that has a timber cutoff. Pretty sure that two of the other three major banks will have a new numbers coming through Stock Doctor this month as well, as okay. will Macquarie Group, I think, from memory. Too. Are you fudging iron ore now? Tom? No, I just wanted to respond to a couple of questions that have been asked over the last month or so since the Great Rotation is, oh, right. how do we draw the five-year iron ore chart? And people were pointing out, okay, it's not a sell. And it's not based on a five-year chart, but I fudged it to reflect the latest upturn in the price of iron ore. So I went back to when that upturn started, which I think from memory was about 12, or probably 18 months ago, and drew my lines from there. And I did that solely for iron ore from memory. I think all of the other commodity prices that I looked at, the, sell the five-year 
trends held. Yeah. But uh, for iron ore, you could see it was oscillating much quicker than over a five-year period, and I didn't want to get caught holding onto it for too long. So I just wanted to explain that I did fudge iron ore. The sell line, that's right, the sell line. Iron ore, correct. But you're not yeah. fudging the buy line. No, I'm not fudging it. It smells like it's not too far away, and when I say that, it's dropped off dramatically and then there has been a slight upturn, but I need to see another peak or trough in there before I can decide whether it's a buy or not. But I suspect it'll be a buy again. It's holding up around the 100 to $120 range. We'll just take a bit of time and let that trend establish itself first. Top three stocks last week. Were there any that did well last week? There was actually, even though our Nivex portfolio, our dummy portfolio was flat for the week, there were still some big winners. Um, CCV, it's the uh, place you go and take your guitar to go and sell it when you finish playing with it. Oh, let me look it up. Gosh, it's too early on a Monday morning, listeners, I'm sorry. It's CCV's cash converters. Yes, thanks for that, Cam. I, I appreciate you getting up early because uh, I'm heading off soon to Wagga Wagga. So cash converters was up 13.7%. That was basically on their quarterly numbers being very good and an AGM update. So, well, this is the AGM season. So you can see movements in stocks that happen quite quickly if the chairman or chairwoman gets up at the AGM and says, happy days, the first quarter's gone really well and we're upgrading our forecast for the year-end numbers. That can happen in this month or so. And it happened with cash converters. Two other stocks that went up last week in our dummy portfolio, Eclipse, went up nearly 6%. And they've reported some good numbers, but they haven't flowed through Stock Doctor yet, but I expect that they will soon. And IGL is up 4.69%. So those three stocks did well, despite the portfolio being flat for the week. Hmm. Well, I'm just looking at it now. As of today, for the financial year, our portfolio is up 8% versus the All Lords 200, uh, 281 that's, that's very good. Yeah. We've sort of been yeah. flat. In fact, I think we dipped a little bit, hmm. but still doing great not stock picks i've got some cut tips for this week i think was next (laughs) okay you've got some stock picks for this week tony okay well people will have to wait then all right stock picks yes i do and they're both anagrams so one's ami and the other one's ima image resources was the um, highest on the buy list that we hadn't talked about and Aurelia Metals AMI was the highest larger cap that we haven't spoken about. So I've pulled out, uh, or I've taken AMI to talk about as a pulled pork. I should declare up front, I'm a shareholder in AMI. It was the one of those life lessons that it was a buy for me a year or so ago. And then uh, it promptly went down and crashed through my rule one price. And before I noticed, and uh, it dropped and I went, I may as well just hold on because it was well above its sell line, but it still hasn't got back to what I paid for it. But it has had a good month. It's up 25% for the current month, which is really good because it had been a, a falling knife for a long time. So gold and what they call base metals miner, 60% gold, 40% zinc, lead and copper, which they collectively call base metals. The three mines that it has are in or near Cobar in New South Wales. So it's an Australian miner. And And I think probably the most interesting thing in terms of news, apart from the fact they had a good quarterly update, which I think put the rocket under the share price, they have managed to secure a guy called Peter Botton as their chairman. So the existing chair of the company retired for health reasons earlier on in the year. Someone stepped in, one of the directors stepped in and acted as chair and while I did the search, and now Peter Botton has stepped in, which is a very good sign because he was the outgoing CEO of Oil Search, a much bigger company 
not necessarily oil mining company. So in the energy sector, not necessarily a gold mining company. He doesn't have experience in the underground mining area, but does have experience energy overall and in running a big business. So I think it's a positive. I think it's seen as being a good thing for the company. They've snagged someone of his calibre to chair it. So I think that also has helped push the share price up. That's the background to Aurelia. On to the numbers. QAV is 0.27. The score is 0.27. Good quality score of 93%, which is quite high. And also a good ADT, so average daily trade is $1.5 million. And my numbers are done at a share price of $0.38, cents, and that's the 1st of November. And we're doing this before the market opens. Further on, the stock price is above the Stock Doctor IV. This is a star growth stock, so Lincoln indicators give it a, a Stock Doctor IV. But it's nearly half the price that the brokers have targeted for it. And it's um, under our IV2 it's less than half of our IV2, so it scores on that metric as well. Price to operating cash flow is 3.4 times and has a PE of 7, so it's definitely in the value camp, even though it's forecast to grow at nearly 20% next year. So it's a good combination of a value stock that's growing well, which I guess is the sweet spot for any sort of investment, isn't it? that we can find something cheap to buy that, that's growing. It's less than book plus 30%. It's just over, I think it's um, NEPS, it's net equity per share of 34 cents. And its growth over PE is above two, 2.6 in fact, and we like it when it's above 1.5, so that's good too. I guess probably the only question about it is that there aren't directors that are holding much stock. Uh, I couldn't find what happened to the outgoing chairman. He may have had a uh, a, a large uh, share parcel, but um, yeah, on my research, I couldn't see whether that happened or not. Uh, but anyway, they don't hold much stock at the moment. And uh, in terms of manu- manually entered data, it does have record low PEs for the last three years. So that's the scoring for Aurelia Metals. Very good, Aurelia Metals. Yeah, I've got them in one of my portfolios, in my super portfolio, actually, but uh, they're down 4% since I bought them. So hopefully they're going to pick back up, keep going, and not suffer the curse of the pulled pork this week, Tony. Yeah. Yes, that's no, right. No, no one tell anybody that we covered that this week as our, our stock. <laughs> Uh, I must admit, when I go through and work out which one to talk about, I, I try and make it a process. So it's the next one on the list that we haven't talked about. Then I start second guessing it and going, well, this one's up 25% this month. Should I go and get something else? And, you know, but you just can't second guess things. You stick with the process and we'll talk you're, about it. And in time, it'll sort itself out. You're starting to believe that you really are a god and can, you know, influence the fates <laughs> of these stocks. Is that what you're telling me? It's starting to go to your head. Or the reverse. <laughs> yeah. I lose confidence and uh, try and improve. <laughs> Uh, All right. (laughs) But you can't do that. Stick to the protest, everyone. Yeah. All right. Ready for some questions? I am, yeah. Jolly good. First one is from Stuart. Stuart says, it was really interesting on the podcast last week that Louise Bedford's data analysis suggests that the most successful investors hold for a minimum of 12 weeks through to 30 months. What are Tony's thoughts on a minimum 12-week hold to offset those immediate ups and downs that incredibly seem to happen straight after a purchase? or sale. I've also got NHC past the 10% loss, but pondering holding for the 12 weeks. What do you think about holding for 12 weeks, Tony? Well, a couple of thoughts. When Louise spoke about that, she wasn't saying people 
went into investing with the rule of holding for 12 weeks. She was merely saying that when she looks at all the trades in aggregate, she was seeing the good investors are holding for a minimum of 12 weeks, so three to 30 months. So, well, I'd need to go back and test that as a rule. I don't think it will hold up if you go in and say the stock drops if you then hold it. And, you know, Aurelia Metals is an example of that we just spoke about. It became a, a stock on the buy list. I bought it. It's a, it was a gold base metals miner. So all the commodities were looking good and it promptly went down. And uh, that happens. And I missed the rule one sell and it went down further. And, you know, then you're in this quandary of what do you do? And, and in the past, I've done both things. I've still sold out if I'm 20 or 30% below, but the, the stock's still above its sell line. And in this case, I held on and it's slowly working its way back. So I don't have enough data to work out what the answer is if you find yourself in that situation. And it sounds like Stuart does find himself there for New Hope Coal. I don't have a process for it. I do from now on obey the rule one and sell out if it drops 10%. Uh, it's, it is a fact of life that that can happen after you buy something. Um, quickly, and uh, oftentimes I've bought something and found out it drops at least one or two percent the next day, which is kind of normal fluctuations in the market. And potentially, I was pushing the price up buying it anyway, so it's going to drop back a bit, um, you know, because of the parcels I'm buying. Uh, but yeah, if it does, uh, the rule one's there for a reason: is to try and protect as much capital as we can. Uh, my general advice, if I'm caught in this situation now, would be to sell and, and then wait and buy back in if you if you can when it gets cheaper or you see that the upturn is established. And one of the things with Aurelia Metals is that <clears throat> I, I spoke about this before, and again, it's um, something I haven't got the data to back up, but it's something I've noticed is that Aurelia became what I'll call a second buy. So it's been in a buy situation for a long time, but it has been a Josephine for a long time as well. It's been um, falling off its peaks. But uh, with the 25% upturn in the last month, it's now back to the stage where if you were just coming in and not looking at the buy line selling the following the sell line and just looking at the highest point, second highest point, drawing a new buy line, it's now a buy on that basis as well. So it's, it's kind of like a, a confirmation, I guess, of of the fact that uh, it's, it's uh, the, the trend, the uptrend may be establishing itself and the falling knife might be over in a really middle case. You didn't tell the fire department that you're recording early this morning? <laughs> no, sorry. There you go, Stuart. hope that helps. By the way, I sold NHC as well. It was a rule one sell for me last week, disappointingly. Ali asked, GCY, in a checklist last week, we gave them a two for record low PE, even though their current PE is an NA. Yeah, good pickup, Ali. I made a mistake there, so sorry about that. I think what I was looking at is the June forecast for next year, where it's where it's got a um, a PE forecast in there, which was lower than any in the last uh, three years. So, my mistake, and and I think it's something that we've noticed in the past. You've got to be careful with stock doctor. It, the you sort of think you should start from the right, but that's where the forecast PEs are. You need to start from the current. Yeah, so that's why. Apologies for that. I did fix it up in this in the buy list, and it hasn't changed the scoring or the ranking much for GCY. I think it's taken a point or two off its QAV score. The other thing about GCY, which is interesting though, so very timely, there's a lot going on. It's uh, Gasco and Resources. It's There are two corporate activities and today's a, a, like an important milestone for whether the company's taken over or not. So quick history, Gascoigne proposed a merger with another small mining company called Firefly. Uh, they were proposing it as a scheme of arrangement, which is where both companies agreed 
to join up. And that's typically done through the courts. So they, they submit a, uh, a joint agreement um, ratified by both sets of shareholders and both boards. The court ticks it off and says, yep, that's all tickety-boo. And off they go as a joint company. That goes through the courts today. In the meantime, Westgold lobbed a bid for Gascoigne Resources, which was, I think, 30% above its share price, and the share price rallied. But that bid was conditional on the Firefly merger not taking place. They think that's dilutive. And problem is that Gascoigne have structured the merger so they can't get out of it. It's up to Firefly to... They either both have to rescind it, I think, or Firefly has the, has the final say. Firefly aren't saying they're going to rescind it, so it's going to the court today. So it will be interesting to see what it gets argued in court today, whether Gascoigne, you know, run dead or or don't, you know, try and stop the the, the merger with Firefly through the the courts. And if it does, then the share price will drop. In fact, it dropped on Friday. The Gascoigne directors released a note explaining all this that they were still having to proceed with the merger with Firefly, even though the the better offer was conditional on that, on that not happening. So the share price dropped, I think, about 10% on Friday. Um, we'll see what happens after it goes to court today. All right. Well, there you go. Good pickup, Ali. Um, Brett, Brettelator, the Brettelator, asks, Hi, Cam. Question, please. QAV provides a great balance of effort versus return. Has Tony, <laughs> has Tony ever put thought into how he would approach it if he had the sudden desire to put more time into QAV, apart from starting a podcast? What might level five on the QAV investment ladder <laughs> look like? I said to Brett, dude, I'll ask, but uh, I think he's still kind of pissed at me for getting him involved in this in the first place and ruining the nice, uh, easy life that he had two years ago. <laughs> no, I'm not pissed at you at all. In fact, I enjoy it. It's, um, as, you, as we said before, it's very rewarding. Not pissed for at everybody at else. What about for you? <laughs> it's very rewarding for our listeners. Yeah, well, it's improved for me. I mean, we've got we've got good, better tools than what I ever had, so that's good. Yeah, I think that's that's it's been really good for me as well to tighten up the process. And in terms of level five for QAV, it looks exactly like level four from what I can tell. I mean, I, I would say uh, yes, definitely my workload's gone up in this sort of area uh, because of QAV. But I would say that normally, the podcast, yeah. But normally anyway, I'd say the majority of my time is reading and thinking about how to improve QAV. And, you know, that's evolved over, the checklist has evolved over the years to where it is now. And and although there's oftentimes lots of suggestions on how to improve it, it really sort of cuts the mustard that I find something which can, you know, improve the process enough to incorporate. So I don't think, there is a level five for QAV. We might, who knows, we might come across something that dramatically improves our results. Um, that'd be great. But, uh, and that, that could be things like, uh, I apologize that we still haven't got um, analysis for. Dylan's been caught up with his uni assignments and, and we're trying to find uh, another person to help us with stats. But it could be things like reweighting the checklist to reflect the fact that, you know, price to operating cash flow has a dominant place to play in our scoring, as does the increasing equity. And so maybe we have a different weighting scorecard going forward. That might give us an extra 
two or three percentage points in performance. So, but no, I think QAV5 looks like QAV4. It's just let's try and oh, I'm thinking all the time about how do we improve it and then we need to test it and research it and then upgrade it and incorporate it. But, you know, I've thought about this a lot. It, it's not that I invented QAV so I could go and play golf. It's just that after a while I said, well, what do I do? <laughs> Went and play golf, you know, especially after I, you know, raised my daughter and, and all that. So I had plenty of time on my hands, but I was always looking for ways to improve it. Like I, I thought, well, do I do a QAV as a day trading exercise? I thought, you know, do you do, you do it as a more actively trading exercise? And, and I'm testing that, you know, the rebalancing trial is still underway. Do we take the worst performing stock each month and replace it with the top performing stock? Um, and Dylan did do some analysis on that. I forget the numbers, but without he did that for 10 years worth of data and the monthly rebalancing was the was a pretty good number. I forget now what it was. It was like, I think it was 18% per annum. And that's bearing in mind that we haven't cracked how to incorporate the three-point trend line calculation in 10 years worth of data testing. It just, um, even using the bread later, it just slows things down too much to, to check each month, each share price over 10 years so but we'll crack that eventually but yeah so rebalancing might be the next thing uh so you pay attention each month for example uh but yeah no i i can't think of anything else to do that could improve what about QAV, launching uh, more a fund than what we're doing now all of our listeners pool their money and uh we, we take it to a berkshire hathaway level and start buying board level stakes in companies yeah companies hmm yeah, like that can potentially be QAV5. It's always been an interest of mine to do that. And it, I think it's probably about time I went and found a mentor in the funds management industry and talked to them about it, what's involved. And the people I've spoken to generally say things like, oh, God, don't do it. It's it's like it's 80% compliance and marketing and client relationships and, you know, at the most 20% being an investment officer, chief investment officer. And, you know, unless you're that kind of person, it, you'll be completely you know, depressed by the amount of work you have to do just to keep the fund um, ticking over from a compliance and a marketing point of view. And that's probably why a lot of funds are started by stockbrokers, right? Because they, they like that that side of things, the selling side of things and the um, administration side of things. And they also happen to be good investment people as well, I guess, through their experience. But but yeah, it'd be great to have a fund. And, and I mean, you know, who knows what that could take? I mean, Berkshire Hathaway started off as a partnership, where a group of people got together and said, hey, let's just pull things. And um, that might be an option. But uh, it's on my radar, but I haven't had much time to to deal with it yet. What do you think it would enable you to do in terms of improving your returns that you can't do at your current level? Yeah, I, I don't know, Cam. Um, potentially, I, I, yeah, okay. So there's the whole, even at my current level, I'm sort of limited in terms of what I can buy because there's I need large ADT stocks and there's only a certain number of those on the checklist. So I've got to crack that nut, you know, which will happen to me at some stage in my future. And if we set up a fund, it will certainly happen. And, and how do you solve that? Well, maybe, you know, we buy stocks which are below 0.1 on the checklist yeah. or we go overseas or we hold more than 15 to 20 stocks in the portfolio. So there's a fair bit of work that needs to be done on that. Buying a fund, I think, would give us resources and potentially access to buy unlisted assets if we happen to come across businesses that we like that weren't listed, but they you know, scored well from a QAV point of view. Uh, it, might, it might facilitate going overseas, which will, I think, probably solve the 
ADT problem because, you know, if there's a 15 stocks in Australia that fit that profile of QAV scores above 0.1 plus a high ADT, there's got to be 100 in the US and, and mm-hmm. you know, many more in other countries as well. So um, having a fund might give me the resources to be able to do that. Uh, but, yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's a hard one. I mean, yeah, otherwise I sit here and do it for myself as I'm doing, which is good yeah. too. I was more wondering if um, having the wherewithal to mm-hmm. buy a big enough stake in these companies where mm-hmm. you can get, you know, some, you know, board representation and some say over the business, can you then get involved and, you know, lend a bit of the kindness and magic to it to improve their the returns of their share price in your portfolio as Buffett does? Get in and go, oh, cut this bullshit out, cut that out, do this. Well, I think that's the thing. Buffett doesn't do that, right? He's famously hands-off. I'm buying your company. I want you to run it for the rest of your life and don't change anything. So mm. all he does is, is change capital allocation. So the cash flows into Berkshire Hathaway and gets some of it gets redistributed back to the operating companies, but some gets used to buy new companies as well, wherever the best return is, which is the sort of famous Berkshire Hathaway motto. And that could be the way that, that you know we get a benefit from it if we have stakes in enough companies that we can... Oh, if we start taking them over and redirect their cash flows, that could be of help to us. It could also something which would be interesting would be to have an influence on a company yeah, that right. said to them, "Look, here's how we invest. Here, here's what we look for and like as investors. Please make this an emphasis for your management going forward. You know, we we like to see founders who have a or share, or directors who have skin in the game. We like to see, uh, you know, this kind of growth on a low PE." Uh, I mean, valuation probably won't play as big a part in our directions to management after we've invested, but things like, you know, dividend yield, financial health in particular, you know, all the metrics that Stock Doctor look at in terms of financial health would be, that would be the first thing on my board agenda if I was a director of a company. Guys, why are we straying from this tried and true method of, of, you know, running a company and making sure it doesn't um, start to have risk that that can um, eventually erode its ability to keep trading. You know, let's get the debt down, let's get the cash up, all that kind of thing. So I think that would be really interesting to have that kind of influence on the company. So you might be a little bit more hands-on than a Buffett. Yeah, but I haven't really thought about it much, Cam, but I'd be probably one director's voice pushing the QAV barrow. But it would be interesting to see what effect on the share price, what effect on the longitudinal you know, success of the company if it actually managed to to manage itself to score well on the checklist, especially from yeah. a quality point of view. All right. Well, there you go, Brett. Well, I hope that gives you uh, something to think about. Uh, what would Tony do? WWTD. Well, that's the end of the free episode for this week. Uh, in the club edition, we went for another, I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes, something like that. Uh, we talked about how the flat bottom rule works again. Um, we talked about why you shouldn't massage the QAV process. We talked about the new bank rate that we're using for our discounting. And we also talked about our individual experiences of behavioral shifts that we needed to make in order to become better investors. And if you want to check out the extra content 
that's in QAV Club, the longer episodes, the extra content that you get on the website, access to the checklist, to the Bible, to the private uh, club, to the dinners. We're having a dinner in Brisbane tonight, actually. I'm looking forward to that. Um, then uh, just go up to our website, qavpodcast.com.au, sign up for the two-week free trial and check it out. Or keep listening to the free episodes forever. Up to you. No drama. That's it for this week. Uh, stay safe. Have a great week. And we'll be back next week. QAV Podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129217182. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.